Hey, and welcome to Tomorrow. I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. Today on the podcast, we discuss sexy Asian men, chilling effects, and dorm room bong rips. But first, a word from our sponsor. Look, watch guys don't pay retail. Neither should you. Crown & Caliber is the smartest way to buy or sell your luxury watch. You know what certified pre-owned means when purchasing a luxury automobile. With Crown & Caliber, you now have the same level of confidence when buying or selling a certified pre-owned luxury watch. And just for the record, all of my watches are luxury. Like, it doesn't matter what size, what shape. If it's not luxury, I'm not interested. To find the perfect watch for you, visit crownandcaliber.com slash tomorrow or speak to one of their watch experts at, and this is a real phone number, 888-888-8888. Or as I like to say, just keep dialing eight. Literally pick up your phone, dial eight, and someone at Crown and Caliber will pick up. Uh, plus, now through August 30th, listeners who enter the promo code CC Tomorrow, that's the letter C, the letter C, and then tomorrow, will receive $150 off their first luxury watch purchase with Crown and Caliber. And I just want to say something. You know, if the discount is $150, this is an extreme luxury situation you're getting into. So check it out at crownandcaliber.com slash tomorrow. My guest today is an associate editor at Vulture slash New York Magazine uh, and a very deeply controversial figure who's caused a lot of <laughs> a lot of uh, consternation across the internet recently. I'm, of course, talking about Alex Jung. Alex, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, we're going to get into the controversy because it turns out you're a very controversial character who just does, like, innocent interviews that blow up. Yeah. Um, but before I'm that, so chill, though, you know? <laughs> are you? I, I don't know. We've never met. Like, we've, we've been literally, uh, we've spent five minutes together. And I have to say, it's been an intense five minutes. Well, you asked intense questions. That's true. I'm an intense guy. And I just... I'm just trying to meet your level. Thank this you. is what I do. It's the least you can do. Yeah. Um, so so tell me a little about your background. Like, you've been at, you've been at Vulture for, what, two and a half years? Yeah, you told roughly. Me before. Yeah. So, so how, do, how, do you, how does one end up at Vulture? And and like what, just for the people who don't know what you do, who really should, what's your beat and how did you end up there? Um, I started off as an intern, as really? a very old intern. Really? Yeah. Well, how old are you? Uh, I am 31. Ryan, can I ask that? Is that illegal? I don't know if I'm breaking any laws. Ryan, is that is that cool? I'm 31. You started as an intern I at just, the age of? I think I was 27. It's extremely old. It's. I mean, it, as a very it's uh, older late stage intern situation. It is, and yeah. all all the I was surrounded by a lot of whippersnappers. What the fuck were you doing before that? Uh, I did a Fulbright in Korea. Okay, um, yeah, that's pretty good. I. <laughs> <laughs> You're like I was a. I don't know. I was just bumming her. I was just stoned for five years straight. Well, no, you, you know, were, like, I was drinking stuff. a lot too. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, sure, of course. On the government's time, though. Really? So, yeah. Well, that's what a Fulbright is, I think. Is, oh, I guess I guess that's true. Yeah, basically, Ben Lerner's book uh, "Leaving the Untouched Station" is essentially what a Fulbright is. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, that's some insight there. Mm. All right, so you were so you were drinking on the government's dime. Yep. For several years. Yes. And then you became an intern. I became an intern at Vulture. Uh, yeah, specifically yeah. at Vulture on all you know, although, but I worked for the other verticals too. And I what does an intern do at New York Magazine? Just uh, out of curiosity, I want to tra- see how lots of transcriptions. Really? Oh uh, yeah, an enormous amount. Um, re- the, building a, slideshows. That's such a shitty job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it I, is thankless. I actually I remember giving people transcriptions, like saying like, okay, and we would give the interns transcriptions. I just think, oh, I sound so stupid in this conversation, uh-huh. and I was just dreading. Like someone sitting there listening to it. Did you ever? Were you ever listening to conversations? You're like, this person's a fucking idiot. Oh yeah, absolutely. This reporter is the worst. Yeah. No, really. Sure. <laughs> okay. They're gone. <laughs> They've moved on now. Obviously. No, no. I think I was mostly just annoyed when I got audio that was, you could barely hear it. Right. And I think that's what uh, the very logistical things uh, irritated me. Sure. Because I think that it's a modicum of respect to at least have clean audio that mic, people can get the mic transcribe. close to their mouth. Yeah. 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 All right. So you were so you're interning, you're transcribing, and then at what point do you make the transition into a non-intern entity? Uh, I kept pitching as much as I could. I and I became one of their weekend uh, editors, basically, because they needed help on the weekend, and so I did that. And uh, that was actually a great time because that allowed me to write for other places like uh, Descent and Al Jazeera and places that uh, I could flex other muscles. Right. Um, and also write for Vulture at the time. And then that's sort of when I made the transition then for, uh, to full-time as a staffer. What's your first, in your memory, your first really meaningful Vulture story? What stands out? Uh, my first meaningful Vulture like, story? Yeah, a piece where you were like, oh, yeah, this is like, 
I'm doing what I want to be doing right now. Uh, I think one of them was uh, a kind of just, in a sense, it was funny and analytical. It was before uh, Fresh Off the Boat and all those shows came on, it was the a taxonomy of the different types of Asian men who got action on TV. Um, and it was funny. You mean like we're, we're on TV? Right. Like literally so on like TV. the varieties of Asian men. That got laid What year, what year did you TV. write this? Uh, what was that? 2014? Like? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm trying to think of like Asian men on TV right now, the varieties of Asian men on TV. But I immediately go to like Lost. Right, which sure. Which is like an important, yes. an important Asian man on TV yep. moment, right? Yep. Daniel Day Kim is on my list, is okay. on that list. Okay, okay. Wait, I want to hear, what, tell me who else is on the list. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this, is what I, this is what I was looking for. So who else is on the list? Um, so, so in a sense, it was uh, people who, like John Cho, who sort of had a flexibility and could seem to have roles that didn't typecast him in any way. Okay. Then there were people like Ken Jeong, who was on Community, who right. has a sexuality, but it's usually mocked um, or made fun of in some way. So is that um So he he would kiss someone on TV but you know is that really like it's not a full representation of a person it's more humorous because he's so asexual in some ways. Right. Is it, and, and is that a oh, This is interesting. I never really thought about it. I watched Community. Mm. I started watching Community as a joke because I love I, Community. I think it's I, one of the best. I love shows. Community too up to a point but um I, Up until the, the Yahoo season, it was one of yeah, for sure. It was one of those shows in the Dan, in the non Dan Harmon. Oh, right, that was good. horrible. It's not good. Yeah, like it was a really. It's incredible because I'm right. like, wow, this is a parody right. of the show that it was. Right, but it's funny because um, I started watching it, which I I do this very often, where I'm like, uh, oh yeah, like I there were a lot of ads for Community mm-hmm. on NBC, mm-hmm. and I'd say to my wife Laura, I'd be like, who by the way is a staff writer at the Cut, so you guys are. Buddies. I mean, you don't probably don't know each other, but well, maybe I'll uh, slack her. Please do. Please <laughs> slack. Please slack my wife. Um, but she, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna watch Community. That's be my new show. Like, I'm gonna get really into Community because I did the same thing with Big Bang Theory, where I was like, I'm gonna start watching Big Bang. When Theory. was this with Community? I don't know. Whenever it was like when they were advertising the first season. Okay, cool. And then I started watching it, and then I was like, was actually watching it, mm-hmm. where I was like, kind of joking before. At any rate, but I never thought about that the uh, Ken Jeong character. As but you're right, like. I mean, I never thought of it as like a kind of a. I'm not saying that you're saying it's a racist depiction, but there is I'm something. Not. But there is something that's weirdly like inherently funny. Like supposed to be inherently funny about mm-hmm. the way the character is. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem grounded in anything about the character itself, except that he's like like an Asian guy, right? Right. But also like a kind of small. He's a small Asian guy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. The smallness is part of it. Yeah. No, I, I think, think his physicality are... is a part of it. Yeah. yeah. Right. But he kind of does. Don't you think that's like his shtick? It is partly, partly his shtick. I actually, I like Ken Jeong and I think he's much smarter than I think a lot of Asian American activist types might give him credit for. Right. Um, because I think they see his comedy in this sort of very straightforward way that I don't, I personally don't see it. Um, so is he considered to be so in the Asian community? And by mm. the way, I'm not being like, "Hey, you're Asian. Tell me all about this." But in the Asian <laughs> <Aren't> you community, <laughs> so tell me how Asians think about this specifically. I don't really know what's going on in the Asian world, but um, but is he considered? Is that like is that character or his like shtick considered to be like a thing that's kind of offensive? So like for instance, there's a sort of Asian American watchdog group called Culture with a K, I believe. And so they don't like uh, Dr. Ken, uh, which is Ken Jeong's new show I on ABC. It. Yeah. Um, it is not my cup of tea. Okay. Um, but they personally take issue with what they consider the desexualization of Asian men. Mm-hmm. And I think for them, there's this desire to have like very strong, heroic Asian dudes representing on TV. Like Daniel Day Kim. Like Daniel Day Kim. <laughs> very strong, heroic. Like he's sensitive. a hottie. No, yeah. I mean, he's a very, I mean, he's like, I think like, is that the first, like, I think maybe in America, the first sexy Asian man that was on television, like where it was like, this guy is like hot yeah. and we're making a point about it. Right. I feel like we hadn't done that a lot in American television. No, no, no. Can you no, think no. of other instances prior to him? Well, I mean, it's, I mean, even in martial arts films, they were strong and they were yeah, athletic, but they true. weren't necessarily considered uh, sexual. So like, like Jet very... Li never kissed Aaliyah, right, in Romeo Must Die, which is also a huge thing within Asian American media. Oh, At the really? end of the movie, he never kisses Aaliyah. Oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of movies where people don't kiss people. Uh, yeah, but in action <laughs> movies, generally, uh, the, the hero kisses the uh, damsel. There's a lot of movies end. where Schwarzenegger doesn't kiss people. Okay. 
I mean, I don't know. Statistically speaking, I'm sure, sure there's some bias. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's some prejudice going on. I mean, it is a wee bit. It is American cinema we're talking about. <laughs> it's not like it's real cut and dry. Um, all right. So wait, who else is on your list? Um, oh, this conversation is, I, by the way, I'm loving just this little snippet of a conversation. Great. We're not even into an actual conversation. <laughs> we're not. Yet. We're not. All right. Who, I'm just very curious. Who's on the list? Uh, so there were, there, then there was a category for stealth Asians. What? So South Asians. Stealth Asians. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. I thought you. Nope. I was like, I heard stealth Asians, but yep. I don't think that's what he's saying. Nope. That's what I said. Stealth Asians. Right. <laughs> So right. for me, yeah, right, what's a stealth Asian? It, it's important, I think, to point out that this whole list is broken down into types of Asian men on TV. Right, right. <laughs> not They're not te- literal people, except for John Cho, who right. I feel like occupies a category of his own. What is his category? John Cho. John Cho which is, is... like Which is like what? Uh, the everyman, in some sense. I think John Cho is one of the... The everyman or the every Asian man? Uh, I think the everyman, okay. actually. Like, I think okay. John Cho is able to take on roles that don't feel race-specific in a lot of ways. Right. Like that starring John Cho meme. Right. Like, John Cho sort of can... F- I don't know. He- Weird. I wonder what about John Cho it is. Like, what what is it about him that is, like transcends race I, I mean that's a good I actually just did a very long interview with him yesterday um, and I'm trying to get at that he he has a certain suaveness <laughs> but he's not like suave I mean he is he is yeah I don't know I, I guess I, like suaveness doesn't that's not the first thing I would that would pop into my mind I, I feel like I maybe maybe it's because he started off his career with a with basically a role like Harold and Kumar like yeah. that's really what catapulted him into mainstream consciousness in a lot of ways and that was such an atypical role for Asian American men in general right um and I feel like he has I guess I see what you're saying he almost has like um it's the wrong frame mm-hmm but almost like a Hugh Grant quality in the uh-huh. sense of like. I actually think it would be great in rom coms. Like I don't understand yeah. why John. Maybe, Cho that, maybe isn't that's why it pops in more rom coms. Yeah. Okay. Like selfie. He was in that TV show Selfie. Oh, right. that was not. That was not good. good the show. first. Well, it got better. It, it was like <laughs> it six did episodes. Get better. Well, no, because they 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 released the episodes that they had shot but didn't Wait, air. I'm trying to it, on Hulu. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh huh. Sure. That was the show that was based on. Uh, my Fair Lady. My Fair Lady. Yes, or Pygmalion or whichever. Right, but it was want. about yes. a it was about a girl who's like self obsessed and sucks. Yes, yes. And he tries to like set her straight. Yes. Yeah. Well, he well he was old. I, world, by the right? way, I watched I, that was another show that I was like, I'm gonna, this is my new show. Yeah, but and did, I watched it. I was like, no, 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 not my new show. But did you finish it to the end? No, I was like, see, I was like episode one. I'm like, I'm out. This right. is not gonna happen because it, it was really bad. It the, like the first the pilot was really fucking I, bad. I, so I would agree with you that you know the John Mulaney show. Um, yeah, Mulaney, Mulaney. Is <laughs> yeah. which is like I was like, oh, this guy's really funny. I'm gonna check this out, and it was like, uh, oh shit, uh-huh. like, you got sitcom. Uh-huh. Like I don't know what happened here, but right. you made a bad sitcom that right. has like a laugh track and shit. That's that, the way I felt when I watched. That's what happens with network TV a lot. I think <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, it really is insane. All right, so wait a second. Who else is on the list? Well, so we can get back to stealth Asians. Oh yeah, stealth Asians. Right. Yes, yes, very so, important category. So stealth Asians, not not. Ninjas. Not nope. like this is not in reference to like their ability to nope. be stealthy. No. no. Okay. So well, people stealth agent? like Dean Kane, for instance, is a stealth agent. Oh. Yeah. Like a secret agent. Right. Um or oh. Mark Paul Gosselier. Dean Kane right. is what half he's half Asian. He's, he's part is... Japanese. His okay. actual last name is Tanaka. No. Yes, yeah, swear to God. So his name is Dean Tanaka? Uh I think so. I, I we would have to look up what his actual is Ryan uh, okay, he's got on this right now. He's Typing away on his iPad. What his real name is, but okay. his last name. Tanaka. How can we? I, it's unbelievable. I mean, you feel like there should be some outrage from an American. He was Superman, right? He was Superman, but that was on Lois and Clark, and that was the nineties. So yeah. it was a very different. Anything goes. Right. right. Anything goes. In the nineties. Right. <laughs> okay. He's well. So Keanu he's, Reeves is also uh, half Asian, right? And yeah. Okay. A lot of people don't remember Stealth or know that. Asian. Keanu Reeves, Dean Kane, or Dean Tanaka, as I like to think of him. Right. And uh, uh, who's the guy who plays Blaine in Glee? Um, Darren Chris. He's oh, wow. Half, yeah, he's half Filipino, but no one talks about God, it. God, we're so everybody's so racist. Well, like, no, I I'm think... like I can't believe he doesn't look Asian, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> like, he's a stealth Asian. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my sort of frame for that, right? Where people who are have Asian ancestry or heritage, but right. they can pass as white, and therefore right. they just play white. So you broke this down into categories. I did, and South Asia was a category. It was a category, and because I, I needed to acknowledge uh, Hoppas. And I did think. you did you rank did you rank them? No, no, it wasn't about a ranking. It a was ranking. just about a, a an assessment of 
what was happening. Correct me if I'm wrong. Two Broke Girls has uh, several offensive characters on it, but there, is there an Asian character? Yes, on there's that show? a. There's Han Lee, who is perhaps the worst, one of the worst characters on TV. Like it, just so I'm, and I've only seen that show accidentally. Yes, as have I. Just so I'm clear, and I feel like you would know this. The character on that show that is an Asian character is like a straight up like 1945 yes. caricature of an Asian person, right? Yeah, like pretty it, much. it's like it's like a really nasty World War II cartoon about the Japanese. Kind of, yeah. It's I mean it's very I I would say maybe more Long Duck Dong vibes from okay. like John Hughes films. Yeah. But like parody. Oh yeah, it's bad. And, of, and offensive. Yes. Yeah, but there are several characters that are non-white characters in that show that are parody, right? All of the all of the non-white characters in that show are essentially like offensive characters. Uh, I honestly don't watch the show okay. enough. No, neither do I. But I've seen it. I'm saying I've seen it once or twice. <laughs> and my takeaway was like, oh, my God, this is like an extremely racist, like an actually straight up racist show. Yes. I think I think that is one of the few depictions where I can sort of unqualifiedly say that's <laughs> yeah. offensive. It's insane. Yeah. It's really insane. I mean, I have no look. I'm a, as a relatively white person. <laughs> I say relatively white because I'm actually half Japanese. A lot of people don't know that about me. Oh. No, I'm not. Um, no. <laughs> I'm a stealth Asian. Well, you never know. No, I'm 100%. 100%. I'm actually, you know, I don't know. I'm Eastern European. I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like there's probably groups that would not be crazy about my claim to whiteness. Um, like, I don't, so I don't pick up on this shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, just the Ken Jeong thing, for instance. Like, mm-hmm. I never really thought about it. But now that you mention it. I'm going back and mentally and thinking of that community character. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's like some there's stuff there that is like relatively unseen by me, but would be could be fairly obvious if you think about it for right. a second. And I don't think most people do. So what was the what was the conclusion of that article? By the way, we're like, I, how do we get on this topic? I was like, what's the first meaningful thing you wrote in Vulture? <laughs> we're not even in the vicinity of like an actual conversation. Right. Yet. Right. Um, but we are. <clears throat> that that was so. So. So what? What was the point, I guess, is my question. I guess part of the point was so that people saw it. Um, it wasn't really... had my, like, revelation that I just Kind had. of, yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, part of what cultural criticism can do is lift the veil on certain things. Right. Um, on how people are portrayed, how people are represented um, in ways that uh, a average viewer or a white viewer might not be aware of. Right. Um, and, and, and this like particular vein of reporting, a reportage, was this something you're like, oh yeah, I need to do this. I need to do cultural criticism or is it something that happened by accident? Uh, it was something I wanted to do. It was something that I felt like no one had really done. And I thought I could do it in a way that was funny, um, and clever while also being sharp and pointed too. Right. So let's fast forward. Okay. Let's move a little bit into the future or the present as sure. it were. Um, so you've, so I, I listen to this podcast who weekly, mm-hmm. that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. It's a great podcast. Bobby Finger and Lindsay Weber. And I was, I happened to be listening to it yesterday or two days ago, whenever the newest episode came out and, or close to it. And they were talking about this interview. And by the way, like I, I had to put two and two together. Like there was a little bit of math that I had to do, but um, you interviewed a guy named Noah, Galvin? Correct. Is that his name? Yes. Yeah. He is on a show called The Real O'Neills. Yes. That's an ABC sitcom. Yes. It's about, explain, can you explain a little bit about what it is? Sure. Uh, So it's a show that's loosely based on Dan Savage's life, and it is an ABC family sitcom uh, that centers on a kid named Kenny O'Neill, who is 16 years old, and he comes out uh, sort of- He's like the main character. He's the main character. He comes out to his family and inadvertently the rest of his community. And they're all- Is this set in the present? Yes. Okay. And it, uh, quasi-present. And they're all sort of deeply Catholic. Um, And it's about his family adjusting to his coming out. Right. Which is, to me, of course, as a straight white guy, seems just like as a normal person- uh, it seems like it. It's set, the fact that it's set in the present to me is like kind of throws me for a loop because I feel like is the is that a big? I guess it's still a big deal, mm-hmm. right? I guess like people still freak out, especially if they're coming from a conservative religious family, right? Yeah, yeah like my dad's side of the family is Catholic, and it was a reckoning with Jesus Himself on a daily basis for like seven years after I really out. every day, really. Nightmare. Christmas has... I've never had a Christmas where there wasn't a fight about this. About you being gay? 
about me being gay or gay people in general and like what the Bible says about it and what we have to talk to the priest who's coming over. What a waste of everybody's fucking time. Indeed. Did I just say, like, I'm sorry, religious people. I'm surprised people. that you're very surprised, though. No, I'm not. I'm just like, I. well, I'm just like, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm not surprised, I guess, if I think about it intellectually. I'm like, I get it. Uh-huh. But I'm also like, it's. I don't think there's, I'm just like, how could anybody give, a, like, religion one. Right. Totally meaningless to me. <laughs> like, not a meaningful, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't mean to insult you if you're religious. I'm not. If you're a devout. Uh, Christian, I'm sorry, but like it's just like I think religion is all just fantasy and made up and nonsense, and like that's not how adults operate. So that to be sorry, Ryan, if you're devoutly religious, also I'm, I am a Jew at okay. the moment, but right. I won't. Uh... I don't even know what that means. <laughs> are you a Clint? Are you Clinton supporter? Yeah, now I am. Okay. What you were a Bernie bro? Um, I dislike both of them equally, and then when it came time to have to pick, why? One, what do you mean? Like what? Okay. gun control. I don't like Bernie's gun control stance. And well, they both suck on. They both suck on gun control. We're going to get to this, by the way. Yeah, there's a lot to talk Boy. about this week in, in regards to gun control and being gay and like Trump. Anyhow, we're plenty of ground to cover. Don't worry, we're all going to get to it. So anyhow, I guess like my thing is just like so religion. I think is nonsense and meaningless. And like I don't think about it that much. Like it's hard for me to be in the mindset of a person who's very religious mm-hmm. because it requires me to assume that you can believe a ton of stuff that is obviously not true and not meaningful. So that's the first problem. And the second problem is like, yeah, I guess there's no way I can see it from the perspective of like somebody who's come out to their family. Uh, You know, I've told my parents like things that they didn't want to hear but my parents react in like an insane way to everything so it's kind of not the same thing. Um, But like, yeah, I guess, I don't know, I'm trying to think like, so I have a daughter I'm trying to imagine putting myself, I'm not religious, but I'm putting myself in the mindset of if she was like, hey, I'm gay. I don't, I don't feel anything about that. I guess mm-hmm. I feel like, all right, well, that's, that's what's going on. Of course, I also feel like people saying like gay and straight will be obsolete by the time she's ready to tell me that. Like it'll be. Maybe. An, I don't know. I, I guess like, I don't know. I kind of hope though. I think like people are going to laugh about us trying to define shit like that, you hmm. know, trying to be like. I mean, it's very important right now, and I think it's been very important in the past, but I think increasingly, like, I feel like a younger generation sees sexuality as a much more fluid, fluid. and less meaningful sure. thing. That is what they say. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm, this is just my, you know, armchair. Okay, so that's what the show is about. So <laughs> getting back to the thing that we got. So the real Anil's is like, this kid comes out to his family and so inadvertently his, like, her whole community. Mm-hmm. And then people, I presume, right. freak out. His mother is played by Martha Plimpton, who's wonderful. I love her. Um, and she is the one who has the most trouble adjusting to her son's sexuality. Right. Um, and that's where most of the comedy for the first season's arc huh. is. So the mom is the kind of... I feel like that's like a, 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 a non, non-typical... I feel mm-hmm. like sure. in families, like in people I know who, who've who come out, it's like the mom is the more understanding and the dad is... Right. Less understanding. Right. The, is... the dad is pretty chill and uh, more aloof about it. Interesting. And the mother is the one who... And they're, 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 the parents are also getting a divorce, so there's sort of a lot of other issues at play in the show. So Noah so Noah Galvin mm-hmm. is, the, is the kid on the show. How old is he? He's in, 22 in years old. And he plays a character who's how old? Uh, 16. 16. And he's out. He is. Um, he's a like relatively new. Like He's a, kind of an unknown... Right. He was he was mostly a theater actor in New York and this is his first major role. And so you so you did an interview with him, a Q&A. I did. Explain the circumstances by which you ended up doing the Q&A. Was it planned or was it like you saw him somewhere? Uh like I like I went up to him and I said, "Hey, Yeah, I'm I mean do like the interview. way the way that cuz cuz I cuz the way the Lindsay and Bobby were talking about it, it was sounded like Right. It was sort of like he was in this very casual situation. Right. No, it was not like that. It was uh, completely planned. Okay. So like his like publicist. publicist and everybody, everybody was like, we're his, doing this His thing. publicist was actually the one who pushed it on me. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like you really should talk to this if guy. If you want the behind He's the scenes. He's got a lot to say. Right. So <laughs> I was doing an interview with Constance Wu, who's the mom from Fresh Off the Boat. Right. And her publicist represents Noah Calvin. Right. And so oh, she was the one who, when I was doing the Constance interview, was like, hey, we'd really love it if you did something with Noah. He's really great. I said, sure. Like we don't. Uh, do enough with Real O'Neill's. We had only run like a couple of pieces and I think we recapped it. And, uh, you know, I think a story about 
the lead who's gay, who's playing a gay kid is an interesting story. So I thought that would be an interesting conversation. So I said, sure. Right. And then she set it up. Oh, so it wasn't like, so it wasn't just like some yeah, thing nope. that happened. And it was, there were no drinks had. I know they also implied that yeah, he had been they drinking. Did, like, no, that didn't happen either. It was in the middle of the day at a coffee shop. Really? Yeah. Because I took away total a totally different sort of like vibe from my, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe it was like a much more casual thing. No, I can, so well, plan, this is, no, no, listen, this is the real thing. You're in the air here. That's great. <laughs> the real O'Neill. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, by the way, we, we, I want to have a fresh off the boat. I'm very curious. Because like, Eddie Huang is like, has like, has disowned that, right? Well, yes, he has, he sort of torched it and then he has made peace with it and now he's, he's like, hey, just I sold the right, I, saw, I made a bunch of money himself. off my book and now, fuck you guys. Yeah. <laughs> is that, what do you think about that show? And not to get off topic, but I'm curious. I like it yeah. for the most part. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen a little bit of it. I mean, I feel like. Some episodes are much stronger than others. I feel like it's impressive that there's a show like that that exists on American television, like, because there really haven't been, there aren't a lot. I mean, right, the last one was 20 years ago, and that was Margaret Cho's All-American Girl in 1994. And that was on for, like, what, a season? Uh, a season before it tanked, essentially, yeah. for a lot of other yeah. reasons. So it's like... Not her fault. Well, yeah, I'm sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't. Okay, so you have any, you're doing an interview with this this dude. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's two big controversies that have come out of this mm. that I understand. Mm. Is there more than two? Uh, I mean, I guess Street Eric third. Stone Street is the mini controversy. He oh, made what's three. The, hold on, there's an Eric Stone Street. Right, controversy? he apologized to three people. Oh, hold on, let's. So, I want to hear the, what's the Eric Stone Street controversy. <laughs> the Eric Stone Street thing was he he basically says that he thinks Eric Stone Street's uh, depiction of Cam in Modern Family is a stereotype of a stereotype. Yeah. So it's he essentially calls it out as gay minstrelry. Right. Um. And that's uh, it's interesting because they're on the same network, right? Um, right. They're definitely gonna be attending some like right parties. Together. The funny, they're in the same. They're in the same programming block. Right. They are. The funny thing is they, that uh, Noah has actually said that stuff about Eric before in oh, other really? interviews. Yeah, that's not new at all, and I'd known that going in. So. So what's his trip like? Is he fairly like? Um, is he trying to stir shit up? I don't think so. I really I I but his publicist un, would have coached him in some way, right? You would imagine. I don't think his publicist wanted the interview that was printed. Like like the pub. Okay, so so okay. <laughs> l- l- I'm gonna I'm gonna needle in on that a little bit. But um, so he's like, yeah, Stone Street. He's doing a parody of a parody. That right. fuck that shit. Right. I mean, he didn't say that, but whatever. Let's just assume that was his attitude about yeah, it. Kind of. Um, yeah. The publicist is there or no? No, she was not physically there. Saw the transcript. No, of no. course not. Just saw it when it was published. Yes. Okay. Surprised? Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, she didn't contact me specifically okay. about it. But someone was contacted. Oh, people were contacted. <laughs> okay. All right. I so, believe THR actually has a story that's running soon about what happened. Really? Yes. Okay, so he disses Stone Street. Mm-hmm. By the way, I don't know. Maybe he's right. Now that I think of it, again, here I am. It's just like a... Uh, a fucking oblivious white guy. Do you want to hear his statement? I pulled it up. Yeah, please. Let me. Let's hear the Stone Street. I'll, I'll play. Noah. I feel like that's the softest of all of these. Yeah, okay. it is. It is the softest. Yeah. Um, you asked him about characters playing uh, or playing gay that aren't, and said, "Can you be more specific about what you're talking about?" And he said, "Are you trying to get me to throw somebody under the bus right now? Because I've thrown Eric Stone Street under the bus a solid seven times this week." No, as wonderful an actor as Eric Stone Street is, I've never met him. I assume he's a wonderful guy. He's playing a caricature of a caricature of a stereotype of a stereotype on Modern Family. And he's a straight man in real life. And as hilarious as that character is, there's a lack of authenticity. I think people, especially young gay kids, they can laugh at it and they can see it as a source of comedy, but like nothing more than that. And I want Kenny to be more than the funny gay kid. That's his character on The Real Mm -hmm. Unhouse. I mean, he's not way off base on that. No, and it's an opinion, right? Like, yeah. I think that's an opinion of yeah. a representation, and you can have a conversation about that. I think the the problem is that the idea that he somehow can't criticize someone else's, someone, uh, another show on the same network, to me yeah. seems extremely sad and limiting to think that we can't have a more open dialogue around Yeah, but this. that's that's pretty classic, like, PR shit. Sure. I mean, right? Like, you don't see... But that's why the interview was good, wasn't it? You don't it? hear – well, I mean, I think so. But Yeah, but all of the best 
All like the best... Seinfeld didn't call shit on Friends. Yeah, he was like, oh, these guys. Like, I don't know. That's not a Seinfeld impersonation. Just, but... <laughs> hey, what's the deal oh, with what's these the deal? six friends? What's the deal with it? How do they get that loft? I don't know. Okay, that's not a Seinfeld impersonation. I'm just, I don't know what I'm doing here. But the point is, you know, you don't hear like Jimmy Kimmel's not talking shit on like the real O'Neills. Well, you know, Letterman and Leno ch- talk shit of each other all the time. That's Kimmel talks shit about Kimmel Leno does. all the yeah, time. Maybe Kimmel does. He totally but that's does. Kind of the role of that. But like the other people, you don't typically hear about a lot of infighting. Right. But this or, is actually a more substantive critique, right? right? Like oh, that's no, they, actually a beef. Yeah. This is more a thoughtful critique or maybe a critique of uh, how you feel like gay men are represented on TV. But this kid's part of the system. But what's he the point of know. having a kid like this in the system and having a show like this if you can't have discussion? Can I tell you? The point is saying like he's a young out man who's you know pr- representing a, a a role that's like true to the community on television that's a big deal for abc or whatever and then they're like oh no, no but don't say any of the other shit that like doesn't sound nice mm-hmm. i mean that's how it op- that's how it is it's mm-hmm. like you're edgy and important until mm-hmm. like you've crossed the line and sure. then you're not nobody wants you to say shit right i mean i think that's makes a lot of sense but it's i mean we have a i mean look all news and many like one of the things that I learned very early on in my like experience as a journalist is that so much of what we think is news or authentic is just like a PR stunt or yeah. a press release. Yeah. I mean, you know, up up to the highest levels of like you know, a, a source close to the president or whatever when there's like something going on that the government wants the news to say. Like there are mechanisms for that happening. I'm not like I'm not Alex Jones or whatever. This is not like an Infowars situation. But like we are basically all in like some kind of weird game together. Yes. Where there's an expectation from the people who make news to the people who tell or t- like talk about the news and tell the stories of the of what is happening yes. in the world. That there's an expectation. There's like an exchange there. Yes. And there's I an mean, access game. Yeah. And this is like it actually goes to Trump. And we'll t- I want to talk about Trump in a little bit. I want to get into like really I have dark nothing shit. to say about Trump. That's fine, but <laughs> but Trump's had some like um, interactions with the media that are interesting. I think like relate to this. Okay, so Stone Street kind of throws him under the bus a little bit, right? But in an almost nice way. Yeah, pretty He's soft. Like, this guy's super talented, but I think this is. I'm not into this representation. Right. Okay. Then there's then there's uh, Colton Haynes. Colton I think Haynes, that's probably number who, two who, on the list. It, <laughs> remind me who Colton Haynes is again. Remember, you can never remember who he is because his face is a blur. Yeah, you said he's, he's just the like equivalent to Olivia. Olivia, what was that? Uh, I don't know. Culpo or whoever. Who? Remember, she's a who. I don't remember who that is. He's a who. I mean, but, he is. A oh, who. This is the thing we did, Bobby. Colton Haynes is like he was. You said he's the ultimate male who when I showed you pictures of him because you yeah. said his face. He's is like a, a blur. guy. He's, he's like a Sienna guy. Miller. He's an extremely good looking. guy. Is he that good looking? I think he's like no. And I think Sienna Miller is more unique looking. I know we have. Oh, this then we have this whole thing where it was like friend. maybe it's just because I'm a straight guy. Um, uh, well, conventionally good looking. Yeah, he looks like uh, who's the guy? I say he looks like he's like a James Marsden. He said he looks like uh, Chad Michael Murray. Or yeah, yeah exactly. Or like uh, <laughs> you know uh, what's his name? Oh, uh, the neighbor's guy. Zac, Zac Efron. Efron. Yeah, he's like a kind of like a less interesting Zac Efron. Anyhow, okay. So Colton Haynes, what is his claim to fame? Uh, Teen he, Wolf and Arrow. He's like a TV action. He's star. not Arrow. He's on Arrow. He's not the guy. No, main he's, guy. Not he's not Arrow. Arrow. No, he's not the okay. main character. Okay. Anyhow, so Colton Haynes, who's also out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, fake, he like fake came <laughs> out. He was out, but then he like he came was like, out, I've like, never a... not said I was gay, and then they like took a shirtless, a bunch of shirtless pictures, and everyone's like, oh, so he is. Because well, he did shirtless photos. Yeah, that was. Well, I guess I'm gay too. <laughs> Just kidding. That, would, that would be a disaster. That would be a not a cool situation for anybody. Um, okay, so then he dissed him. What was the shit talking he did about uh, Colton Haynes? Um, basically, he took. He made fun of the way Colton Haynes came out, which was that he he never specifically said the words I'm gay, for instance. He just kind of said that he never wasn't in the closet. Right. Um, was his way of right. coming out. Right. Um, this is very boring to recount this, by the way. Are you dying right now? It's no, no, like, it's fine. The last thing you want to do is have to recount this. <laughs> it's like third-party statement. <laughs> um and All right, so anyhow, so that caused like Colton Haynes had a huge reaction. Well, he, he, called, it, he called it fucking pussy bullshit. Yeah, yeah, he did not mince words. The, well, no, no, uh, but Noah Galvin said it was pussy bullshit. Fucking pussy bullshit. Fucking pussy bullshit. Yeah. Okay, which is like I feel like kind of offensive. Also funny. Did I don't mean know. it in a funny way. You were there. He did mean it in a funny way. Was he laughing when he said it? Yeah. 
Okay. I mean, but he also we, called him the worst. Yes. <laughs> was he laughing when he said that? You know, the funny thing is that I uh, I don't know if I can tell you, but here we go. Um, yeah, why not? Well, I he said a lot more things. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like what? Uh, he called him a mannequin. Really? Yeah. Um, what did he mean by that? Uh, it was it was just he was describing Colton Haynes, yeah. and he's uh, when you didn't it, put that in. We didn't put the. You thought, I, it, you thought it like broke the narrative. I preferred to put it in. My editor decided not to. Okay, interesting. And so he like went deeper on yes dissing. I'm generally of the school of I think all the quotes should be there. Put it all out there. Uh, yeah, but uh, my oh, editor I've, decided not. I have uh, to do I that. have gotten shit from people for just doing a straight up Q and A with a full on transcript where. Mm. Uh, you know, you're like, oh yeah, no, I'm doing, I'm just publishing the whole thing. Like we talk, <laughs> and here's a transcript, and this is what I'm gonna run. That's cruel. <laughs> no, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, with some like reasonable editing to uh-huh. make it coherent. Uh-huh. But like, this is the conversation we had. Sure. Would you? Wouldn't you have preferred that it was that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I'm more of that school of thought. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I no, mean, I, I, I want reasonable. it to be the most interesting conversation, but I also want most of the quotes that uh, were said to be in there. Right. Um, like the, the stuff mannequin, like the mannequin piece. I mean, that was a great burn. <laughs> it's a sick burn. And so anyhow, they had a Twitter flare up. They did. And uh, <laughs> which I got sucked into. You did? Yeah. No, quoted my tweet and said, thank you. with like clap emojis, which means I had wow. tweens in my mentions. Oh. Really? Oh. I'm a monster. I'm blah, 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 blah. Oh, you're a mo- you're the bad guy. I'm you had all the guy. Colton Haynes fans <clears throat> on you. How dare you? So then like, let's get to the big, let's get to the, let's stop beating around the bar. <laughs> <laughs> this is all like. This let's is all stop pussy let's get, to, let's get to the this main. This is fucking pussy bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> this is fucking pussy bullshit. So the big thing is that he basically, and I'm going to say it. Okay, uh-huh. you can respond or not respond. Okay. He basically was like, so then he went on like a tear about Brian Singer. Now, I want to preface this by saying Brian Singer, who's the director of- X-Men. X-Men, like many X-Men movies, Usual Suspects, right? Uh, yes, he directed that. Correct me if I'm wrong. You can, Ryan, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Um- that movie about the old Nazi and the kid, App Pupil. Oh, uh huh. Come on, App Pupil. Boom. Pu- yes, App Pupil. Okay, X Men and Valkyrie with your favorite Tom Cruise. Did he direct that? Yeah, love Tom Cruise. Love the Cruise Missile. Can't miss. Um, <laughs> so he's a anyhow, big deal Hollywood director. He's a big deal. Yeah, and he just directed this X Men Apocalypse movie, which I think is a bomb, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah, it's. Not I don't want to get. I hope I don't get sued for saying that. But I think. It, I think <laughs> yeah, we're just going to throw some allegedly's into this. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly a bomb. <laughs> I don't know, but like I know that this fucking superhero shit is over. It's deader than dead. I'm sorry, for everybody. It's, yeah. But anyhow, so X Men Apocalypse is it was an apocalyptic failure, and uh, but he's very power, very powerful. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's my Ed McMahon. Um, so he basically said, and this is a a rumor that I've heard before, not just like read about. But oh, people, it's well circulated. People have and said it's like well whispered about. And dude, I think it has been well reported. I think on. Brian Singer has been sued by somebody for he this. Has. He has, which is the he the, won that lawsuit. But. The allegation is well, some some you know, payola. Um, I mean, allegedly, uh, <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. I'd love to get sued by Brian That's Singer. That would be amazing. That would be. Would it? No, it would. It would be very bad. And please, Brian Singer, don't sue me. And I think you're a great artist. And I actually like the new X Men movie. It really had a great storyline and great direction. Uh, that I mean, choking poster was not your fault. I was seen it. You know what? The fucking that perspective, the photoshopping on that on apoc on Apocalypse's arm, it happens. You know, you we don't know how big the first mutant's arm is. Anyhow. Uh, so the allegation or the suggestion in the interview, more than a suggestion, as the straight up was said, is that like Brian Singer is into like young, I don't say young boys. Like, I don't know. We could read the quote. Maybe that would Can be. Can we read the quote, Ryan? Yeah. You asked, is there an industry network? And he said, yes. Brian Singer likes to invite little boys over to his pool and diddle them in the fucking dark of night. Ha ha ha. I want nothing to do with that. I think there are enough boys in LA that are questionably homosexual who are willing to do things with the right person to get them in the door. In New York, there is a healthy gay community and that doesn't exist in LA. So a couple of things at play. Obviously, Brian Singer, extreme allegation, but which has been widely distributed, widely spoken about. Right. He doesn't really specify, what do you mean? He doesn't like, he's not talking about like 10 year olds. No. We don't, it's like, it's like, what's he talking about? Teenagers. I, we don't know. Well, he he literally has pool parties. He likes people who look very young to come to his mansion and have a party. It's interesting because it's like, 
it's like the same shit that like guys are doing with young girls. I mean, it's like the same problem, yes, right? It's it like is. dudes like youngsters, basically. Yes, is the is the issue. So <clears throat> creepy old guys like young flesh. I mean, that sounds like a great horror film that I definitely would watch. <laughs> um, so anyhow, so so Noah says this stuff about Brian Singer. Yes, this is where it gets really interesting. Yes, and needless to say, there is a little bit of controversy around it. Yes, um, he recants. He does. He, he takes all of that back. He takes back the Colton. Stone Street? He takes that back. Wow. He takes back uh, Colton, and yeah. he takes back Singer. Did it feel like those um, statements were prepared? Yes. I think if you read the statement and compare it to how he speaks during the interview, there's a drastic difference between in the, uh, la- in the language. In the language. <laughs> right. So so he recants these statements. He's like, I was I spoke out of turn. This was inappropriate for me to say. It was very like buttoned up. And um New York magazine alters the article. The article is was altered. Yes. Can we say that? Yes. There was a version well, of it it's there. that included you the quote watch. about Brian's Brian Singer. Yep. Was that the only one that was taken out? Yes. And that was taken out you didn't personally take it out. No. Okay. Um, and and to me, this is like, I'm trying to understand this. And I'm not saying that you're going to help me understand it. Like, I, there may, this is maybe a domain where either you can't talk about it or it's something that, like, you don't, you can't answer the question. That would be correct. But I'm trying to understand the situation where... Um, where New York Magazine... Because the only thing I can imagine is that there's some sense of liability where you've printed something that isn't true or could be proven untrue. I'm not saying you have to confirm or deny either one of these things. <laughs> but but then it's like, okay, so we're liable because we printed something that somebody said, which ended up, which might not be true. And so we've got to take it out because it could be, have material harm to the business or whatever. Well, I don't understand is, and, and, and by the way, I'll be the first person to say, I don't know all of the legal ramifications of, of printing something somebody said that isn't true, except to say that like it's not like New York Magazine was making a statement that Brian Singer had parties where he you know fucked little boys. Correct. Right. It wasn't Correct. like a New York Magazine. It says. was not something I wrote. Right. That's right. right. Also, I mean, was... language wise, we just had to parse what little boys means. So it's not like he said he's a pedophile having sex with children. He said he likes young to diddle young right. guys. Also, so this... the word diddle is clearly funny. Definitely, you know, like if you if, if it also like has a dark has a dark it connotation. Does. It does. It does. Diddle is like that's what a priest does. Yeah, it feels there's like a a pedophilia quality to it, right? But, For whatever reason, I don't fucking know why. Right, but are jokes about Bill Cosby off limits because he allegedly? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Are they not? In the, I mean, jokes. I mean, the the, the truth doesn't seem to be off limits, right? Right. Allegations don't seem to be off limits. I mean, Bill Cosby hasn't gone to jail for anything. He hasn't been proven guilty of anything. I mean, this this gets into, you know, libel law and First Amendment stuff. Right. Well, but this actually brings me to, like... Kind of to uh, we should should we take a break? Do we have a, we have uh, uh, sorry like I just want to I want to get into this but I don't want to like then take a break and where it's really good. We take a quick break. We'll be back with Alex Jones. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. And as I can say, as a person who has eaten many, uh, but cooked very few Blue Apron meals, uh, they are quite delicious. Blue Apron achieves this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients and building a community of home chefs. Blue Apron has established partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. As a result, seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. Beef is raised humanely, chickens are free-range, pork is raised naturally, and regenerative farming practices are used for produce. Blue Apron can be delivered to 99% of the continental U.S. and 99.5% of food deserts. Because Blue Apron ships the exact amount of each ingredient required for a recipe, they're reducing food waste. You know, look, some ingredients in your food, you don't know where they came from. You know, who had their hands on that ingredient? Uh, Did a person that you wouldn't like touch the ingredient? 
Is the ingredient from a place that you don't like, that you wouldn't visit? Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. Whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, or heirloom tomatoes, Blue Apron is bringing you the best. For less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Check out this week's menu and get your two meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com tomorrow. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash tomorrow. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Today, nearly anything is possible. If we can dream it, teams can build it. So how do you bring everyone together to create what's next? Team up with Atlassian, makers of collaboration software that lets teams work and communicate better together. Assign, track, and manage tasks for any project, no matter how complex. That's the clarity of Jira. Create and share content, organize results, and bring team members up to speed. That's the flexibility of Confluence. Instant message or video chat with your team from any device. That's the freedom of HipChat. Test, review, and manage code in real time. That's the power of Bitbucket. One thing that, uh, just personal note, that I like about HipChat, which is frankly uh, one of my favorite chat platforms, is that you can self-host it. So visit Atlassian.com and see how Jira, Confluence, HipChat, and Bitbucket give your team everything you need to organize, discuss, and complete shared work. Atlassian, helping teams everywhere team up to create what's next. Okay, we're back. Alex, that was a great break, wasn't it? Oh, it was fantastic. One of the, one of the best. Sorry. So we were just about to get to some really meaty shit, mm-hmm. which is like, <clears throat> we're talking about um, whether you can publish something that somebody says about somebody else. I mean, I, obviously there are laws that protect uh, uh, this kind of this kind of um, uh, journalism and pro- there's there are certain protections and there are places where there aren't protections. But, but I guess like what I'm more interested in is this, I feel like we're entering a state I'm not saying maybe this is not a part of it, but maybe it is a state in media where we are becoming suddenly there is a big question about what the media's role is and what you can and can't say and who has control over what the media can and can't say. Right. And I think like you look at this Gawker case and I don't know how much you want to talk about the Gawker case, but I will say that. Look, I'm the last person who will defend Gawker because I think they've done a lot of bad shit. But like it is a situation where it feels like. Giving Gawker, getting the Gawker getting the death penalty essentially for yeah. writing things that people didn't like, right? Um, even things that might have been hurtful, right? Like with real material hurt that you can prove, right? It seems extreme, I, and I feel like it created you know this chilling effect that everybody talks about that Peter Thiel could create because he's funding all these lawsuits. Like, are we starting to? To feel that? Yeah. Are we starting to feel it? I mean, is this, I'm not saying that this Brian Singer thing is a piece of it, but I will say it is unusual that there have been stories about Peter Thiel and allegations about Peter Thiel that are very, very similar to the allegations about Brian Singer. And here you have like a case where somebody makes those allegations publicly, you write them what they said, you, you know, transcribe what this person said, publish it on New York Magazine. And then it's like, oh, wait a second. No, we can't, we can't print that. You know, and that to me is like a scary place. And so I just wonder, like, is this the beginning of something or is this, is this, does this feel like business as usual to you? And can you talk about this? And do you not want to talk about it? You don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Should I just crap this whole fucking question? No, <laughs> no I so think. so annoying. We can't even talk about it on this podcast. I mean, I think it's a great question. Thank uh, you. I, you goddamn right. It's great. I don't know if I can uh, answer it uh, as openly as I would like to. As an employee of New York Magazine. Yes. Uh, I, my hands are a little bit tied here. See, that's what I'm talking about. Look at this chilling effect. I this agree with you. This podcast has gotten chilled. It is chilled. You know? It's chilly. I have to, it is, it's, you know, and I don't want to have to put words in anybody's mouth. But I do think it's disturbing. And then, like, on the flip side, you've got Trump, who's now, like, revoking press credentials for people who cover him in a right. way that he doesn't like. Right. And I just like what I actually want to know is like let's not even talk specifically about New York Magazine or whatever or but like what is the logical end to this? I mean, isn't there a duty? Don't we have a duty? That's what I would think. I think journalism's duty would be to hold people's feet to the fire, especially those who are in power and are abusing it. Right. Um, I think that is the journalist's core job. And it's ugly. It is. I mean, it's an ugly job. I it mean, is. I don't think anybody. I don't think there's any situation where. 
you know, anybody ever said, well, I'm going to go into journalism and it's going to be like a real treat. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's hard fucking work and it's ugly work a lot of the time. And like journalists have the job of exposing some of the worst, some of the worst right. of hum- what humanity has. Right. But it does it does scare me a little bit, I have to say, um, to think about, you know, because I don't think it's I don't think it's like one fell swoop. I don't think it's like this one thing happens and everything changes overnight. It's like death by a thousand cuts, you know, right. and those cuts are so almost imperceptible that we won't notice that it's happening. That we're and, bleeding to death. Yeah. And that, that's right. And like, it, and it is a scary place to be. And I just worry that like, I mean, I feel like there's so little trust in the media right now. Right. That the public almost is like cheers for it. I mean, when you see the Gawker verdict come down, it's like, oh yeah, good, good riddance to bad rubbish. Mm-hmm. And so you throw away all of the good stuff. And there are many good things that Gawker has done. The recent Facebook story that they, that they did about um, the way they were manipulating, you know, their news stories. I mean, I think, it just it, it, it to me it's a very scary place to be and like as a journalist it, like you're going this week you'll do more interviews right yeah you know you're going to tell more stories you're going to speak to more people who have totally unpredictable things that they're going to say yeah and there's un, un, un uh, like, and ideally I'll get them to say unpredictable things you know I'll try to right. get them to off their talking points I right. think that is ideally what I would do well, this dude had no talking points right <laughs> he did I mean, did he have a talking point was he like oh yeah by the way I was talking about how great they cast is on the real Anil's. I mean, the funny thing is, I mean, I, I, because I read a lot of interviews with him beforehand uh, to prep and a lot of people asked this, him the same questions and my sense was that he got bored by those and he had talking points that he said <laughs> all the time right. and uh, he, I, I think the interview at in the moment felt liberating for him in some sense. How long did you spend with him? An hour. So it wasn't that long? No. But man, <laughs> what you got out of that hour. <laughs> Impressive. All right, I'm going to shift gears. I, I just, I think like there's, we can go, we could go deep on this, but I think there's obvious like uh, limit time limitations and other limitations where we're not going to. Right. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit um, and talk about the Pulse uh, nightclub shooting. Yeah. Um, in Orlando. You're a gay man. Can I say that? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Um, you have my permission. Okay, good. And I won't sue you for that. Thank you. You're a gay man who diddles little boys. Is that wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Is that wrong to okay, say? I hate both of you. <laughs> you know, I'm just, that's what I've heard. I don't know if it's true or not. But um, no, that's good. That's good shit. Um, sometimes you're like, will I say that thing that I'm thinking? And then you're just like, oh, I guess I will. It's a problem. So, I mean, there's so many levels of this story that that and, and like you're not covering it. Are you covering it at all? Uh, I mean, Vulture specifically obliquely covers it in the sense that Titus Burgess sang at Stonewall yesterday, and they'll right. cover that. There's like kind of um, we have in, to find our entertainment coverage. angle into it, right? Yeah. Um, but obviously, like this is a kind of a shocking moment uh, in uh, in America um, because it is an act of. I mean, it's a real act of hatred. I mean, all shootings are an act of hatred. But this one feels like, I mean, it's it's Pride Month, right? Yes. And it's a gay club and the death is unbelievable. Like and 50 people dead, right? How many people injured? 49 or 50? 49 people? dead, I believe. Oh, it's and 49 53 dead. 53 injured. Right. And um, and it does raise like this, this kind of like, is America changing? Is America going backwards? Like, this is what I look at. Like, when I see this and when I see, like, the Trump rhetoric and the following rhetoric from Trump, mm-hmm. like, do you feel like, as a gay man in America, how, you're 31, right? Yeah. So, so look, the majority of your life, it's been, like, I don't know, it's probably been better than it was for the previous 30 years. Right. Sure, right. sure. For the I generation mean, before me, right? Yeah, absolutely. They had to go through the AIDS crisis. Do you, do you feel like we're going backwards? Is there a danger of going backwards? Can we, in terms of how people feel and think? I guess I don't know if I think about it in a linear sense like that. I do feel like what this did was show the precarity that everyone kind of feels already, um, and it it has been brought to the forefront right. in a very real and scary way. D- does it feel to you that, I mean, I think that there's like a tremendous effort from the right to make this about Islamic. Yes. R- radical. They're trying Islam real hard or, to do that. Or terrorism. But like, there's actually like a narrative that's, that's come, that's, that's coming to light about this guy, this, this, the guy, the killer that is like, he sort of was like a closeted, he was gay. 
Possibly. I mean, this is, we don't, I don't know all the. Sexual or figuring it out. Yeah. But he was on, like, he was on apps. Struggling with his sexuality. Right. Right. And he was, he'd been to this club like 10 times. Right. And like the narrative's a lot more complex than I think that we originally. Yes. You know, we want to make this, like, put it in this really neat box where it's like, oh, he was radicalized and driven by ISIS to like kill people. But this is like kind of almost a very traditional, it feels to me like a much more traditional hate crime, like an American hate crime where it's not. Like some kind of major plan right. to take out a group of people where it's actually like driven by uh, something much darker almost. Yeah. And it, it's possible that he was trying to exercise something that he felt within himself, which makes it even more complicated. It's like it's like those high school bullies that torture somebody in high school because they're <laughs> struggling with their sexuality. Right. This guy bought an assault rifle and he was not a high school bully. He was an adult who knew where to go. It's the same psychology, though. I mean, there people, kids at schools get beaten to the brink of death, but you know, like it's the same. It's like an ugly psychology that I think we've allowed to fester, because we're busy talking about marriage rights and blah 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 blah. And can trans people pee here or there? <laughs> but isn't that? But isn't that part of it? I mean, isn't this like to me? Like all of this goes back to, and this is why, like I'm. Sort of like I do feel like this ties into this continuum of Trump and this like the kind of death row. I talk about this. I've talked about this a bunch of times, like the death rows of like the white, like white male dominance Mm -hmm. in the world. And I do feel like, you know, isn't hasn't like the conversation about the trans like trans community and the conversations about gay marriage exacerbated these feelings like you know i i feel like there's a cornering of like traditional like the traditional american values that we think are like define america right like christian right-wing white i guess what i don't understand is why those values necessarily need to why they require the oppression of other people (laughs) that's a great i have no fucking idea (laughs) I mean, why? Well, I, mean, I mean, I've ruined four marriages today, personally. <laughs> <laughs> well, as everybody knows, you're probably diddling some uh, uh, yeah. boys, young boys. <laughs> I've stolen everyone's husbands and the young boys. It's, it's <clears throat> dark, though. I'm like, I honestly, like, I, I, I didn't have like a point where I'm like trying to make some like overwhelming statement here about this, but it is to me, it's like a really. I feel like we're in this ext- strange um, moment in American history where. It, Everything seems like it is moving, trending towards a much more progressive and liberal understanding of, like, ourselves and and identity and society. Mm -hmm. And yet there are these flare-ups, and I'm trying to figure out um, where they come from and how much Donald – people like Donald Trump and how much, like, this kind of flailing of a very extreme part of our – I'm not saying you have these answers, by the way. Right. I mean, I feel like you're because you're a straight white man. You should have the answers. Can you speak for your community? <laughs> well, I would be speaking for. I would, I would. Well, as a straight white man, I do feel very threatened by gay men. Number one. Um, no. Are you uncomfortable with this conversation? Not at all. No. In fact, I've never been more comfortable. No. I like. For, so first off, like I don't. I. I. I feel like I am in the. Uh. One percent of like the straight white guys. Like I don't know. You're a woke I'm, bro. I, I don't. I think <laughs> woke. Page, I think it's uncool to be woke at this point. Like, I think like wokeness has gotten uncool. Like I think there's a situation yeah, where people wokeness are, jumped the shark. There are like two woke. Yeah. Wokeness jumped the Matt McGorry. Yeah, Matt McGorry. Matt McGorry ruined wokeness for all white right. men. You couldn't just be like, I totally like understand where you're coming from. Now it's like you seem like an asshole if you say that because Matt McGorry had to ruin it. Because he's like, no, you don't know. I'm like a lesbian. I read a book. I read a book. Or whatever. Right. I don't fucking understand. Um, look, I don't know. I don't get white guys. I mean, I don't like sports. I'm not like, I don't have bros. <laughs> like, I really don't. I'm like the wrong guy. But like, it might, do you feel like maybe it's, it's like what RuPaul honestly was talking about in the interview that you did with, with RuPaul was like, he said, it's like, uh, it's. Drag and gayness and stuff like that kind of mocks identity. It, like, proves that this isn't... You wake up every day and you get dressed to look like a guy. That's not the default. And I think it makes people uncomfortable to think, like, I maybe I'm not... Maybe, like, nachos on uh, Super Bowl Sunday and, like, you know, putting up a hot babes hot rod poster in your school locker is not your whole identity. It's not, like, the most important thing in the world or the most important thing about you. Well, I think it, what it points out is, like, what at least drag points to is the fact that that's all a performance, too. What 
straight white men do to construct their identities, what they thought was the default, what they thought was the norm, those are all choices that were inculcated into them by culture. They just may not realize how deliberate that was. But I mean, I'm coming to a realization right now. This whole life has been a lie. Are we woking you? <laughs> I will. I will say this. I do look at the. Um, I will say this all the time. I look at the fashion options that women have, and I'm like, this is bullshit. Oh, it is. So many options, and men like, yeah, I could wear like a skirt or a dress or whatever, but there's no real like system for me. Right. Like I'm kind of, you know, it's not going to really happen. So one of the one of the, one of the first pieces I wrote that for me was the first piece that I felt like I was a writer was about drop crotch pants. And it was essentially an ode to drop crotch pants. What are drop crotch pants? I'm trying to think. In my uh, mind. They're like hammer Justin pants? Bieber wears them. J- They're like that. Yeah. <laughs> does does he not? Wear I mean, them? no, I, I, he kind of does. Uh, but the, but their their pants where the crotch is very low. Oh yeah, drop crotch pants. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. They're like a they're like a hammer pant with a sure. lean leg. Sure, sure. It's yeah. like skinny jeans means a hammer pant. Yeah, but all but there's it's like room for a diaper. There's all kinds. <laughs> That's what's going on. There's yeah. all kinds of pants, and it, it it was this thing that I wrote about how much I loved them because I felt like they offered me something that fashion hadn't before. Which is what? Which was a sense of liberation, a, a play, a huh. fun yeah. with identity, with using fashion as a way to express that identity and thinking of non-gender specific ways to do that. Because I think that, you know, when clothes are sort of divided between pants and skirts, it's boring. And there's a whole world of link, like there's a whole linguistic option. Like there are linguistic options between that. Right. And drop crotch pants are a literal one that occupies that space. Well, this is like, to me, like, I think like the worst thing about all these, like, and by the way, I, I remember talking to Laura, my wife, about, you know, sort of gender as a construct. Mm. And at first being, you know, you know, a decade ago, mm-hmm. being not resistant to the idea, but it's difficult for, and by the way, I think it's much more difficult for men, for like white straight men to get their head around this than other people for whatever reason. Sure. But like, um, you know, I was like, no, like, you know, a man, you're a man, you have a, a penis, like you, there's like an identity that's baked into that, that is like not. That is fixed. It's not a construct. Uh-huh. It, is, it is a fixed thing, right? And it took me a long time to actually think about it differently. Um, and maybe it is like the way that we have the, the last 10 years that we've had in like the world, you know, but there now I, now I totally, I totally understand it and feel like it innately makes sense though. It's still to me is like if, okay, if Zelda, my daughter was like, I'm a man mm-hmm. and I think that I'm a man and mm-hmm. like, I want to, and I want to be actually like physically be a man. That would be very difficult for me to like comprehend mm-hmm. and not because like I, would be angry or reject the idea or whatever. Just like you see, you know, a person one way, like you feel like you see that person as they are. Mm -hmm. And then you have to sort of like, I would have to, for Zelda, of course, who I've known her entire life, would have to completely reorient my idea about about who she was in in terms of gender, which is like very difficult to imagine. Very hard to imagine. Yeah. And so, like, to me, that's, like, the new – like, that to me is a level – that's, like, a coming out that definitely would be uh, – I would be reeling from. Sure. You know, which is very different. And I don't know why. I mean, it is – but there's a physical – the physicality to it is meaningful. Yes. It's not like you can just – I mean – Well, there's you know, there's also different expressions and ways in which that happens, too. Right. Um, right. But there is, like, there is a physical aspect to it for many people that is, like, okay, well, there's, like, biology says one thing and you're – you say another, and those are like... Well, it's the idea of sex and gender being different things. That right. You can have a physical sex and, and, a, and a, a cultural identity, identity-driven gender, but I think for some people, they get tied up, and I think sometimes for people in the trans community, it's obviously those are tied together because they're they're in their own bodies. Right. But I think for people looking at people, it's hard, especially... I, I mean, I cannot, I, a lot of people I know are comfortable with trans people and comfortable with all of it and they're active about it. But when they do come to talking about their parents or their kids, for some reason, there's a, a body connection. I don't know if it's psychological or A cultural. NIMBY thing? Well, yeah, there's like a, there's like a genetic, like I'm, we're all, I don't know, maybe it's like a, an avatar-ish uh, thing, but like we're all connected, we're better connected. You, you'd feel like an ownership over those kind of bodies, the body that you came from or that you made, and you don't right. want to see it change. That is a... We're in some deep shit here. I mean, we're in some like here we are. 
we're in Where dorm else room, is there to be? Dorm room stoner <laughs> situation. I know. Going Could you pla- pass the bong, please? <laughs> Seriously. Unfortunately, I think we actually have to wrap up. <laughs> this is at the, at the at the moment of an intense like revelation here. Um, I, there's like a lot more I want to talk about, and we were kind of all over the place here. A little bit. But um, that's fine. No, this is normal. This is really like I really enjoyed this conversation. I'd like to continue this conversation. You have to come back and talk more. Great. Um, once we figure out what happened with all this editing. Uh, this editing situation once you can really do a deep dive on uh-huh. it um, but uh, so you're writing you're at Vulture I can I can find your writing at Vulture you can anywhere else that I should be looking for your work anywhere else that people who li- are listening to this should be looking for you um, as of right now no. no but you can read other things that I've written in the past do they should they uh, I think a, a lot of the stuff that I've written that are more essayistic I like more in right. some ways all right, any, any parting words for the audience, for this very uh, confused, upset audience? <laughs> <laughs> anything, anything you want people to know about you? Uh, anything you'd like to tell us? I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not really comfortable talking about myself. So, really? Yeah. Okay, good. Well, Alex, thank you for coming. <laughs> thank you for being here, and you have to come back. Thank you so much. Well, that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week with more tomorrow. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best. But unfortunately for you, your family's out gender bending and you're standing at the ballot box trying to vote for Trump.